Welcome to Groove Therapy, the premier podcast exploring the intersection between live music and health and wellness with experts Dr. Leah Taylor and Tara Lee Weathers. In this podcast, you will learn how live music positively affects well-being through a combination of scientific research and personal experience from your hosts, favorite musicians, industry professionals, and fans like you. Also included are strategies to incorporate the benefits of live music into your everyday life. Hello and welcome back everybody to a new episode of the Groove Therapy Podcast. This is Dr. Leah Taylor here. Hey, and I'm Tara Lee, and I am so excited for you all to hear this episode because it blew my freaking mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It blew mine too. <laughs> like <laughs> it blew my mind at the same time as just like reaffirming how much I love to talk about these things. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So today on our podcast, we have a very special guest and his name is Charles... Lighthouse. And I love his light last name. Like, <laughs> I think I just... Yeah, he is. He's such a lighthouse. <laughs> like, it couldn't be more perfect. <laughs> I think initially, I, I like didn't associate that with his last name, which is why I had to check really quickly. So Charles Lighthouse, who is just like such a lighthouse of thought and provocative ideas, especially when it comes to live music and the mu- the experience of music. And when I say provocative, I mean like, you know, I feel like the things that we discuss here on this podcast are like provocative because they provoke thinking about things in a different way. And he is absolutely that way as well. So a little bit about Charles is that he provides editorial, strategic planning, communications, analysis, and coaching services for nonprofit and creative clients. He's an expert on publishing, grassroots fundraising, nonprofit leadership, event planning, psychedelics with the humanities focus, free expression, education, and the arts. He's a writer and he writes zines, pamphlets, articles, and podcasts about visionary culture, music, and art. His current project, which we talk a lot about, is called The Dead Letter, and it's a deep dive into the history and meaning of the Grateful Dead, examining how the band's creativity and heritage provide models of reshaping American life. He's also the co-host of Psychedelic Salon, a twice-weekly online community meeting and ongoing podcast series. And he is just like such a beacon of information for this new world that we are like really ushering into, which is honestly just a remembrance of where we came from and all that's important, in my opinion. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. He's so freaking cool. Even hearing all those things I didn't know about him, I was like, that makes sense that that's what he does. And you're all in for such a treat. So before we dive into the episode, let's just take a moment to arrive in the here and now so this episode can be really powerful and you can bring it out of the podcast and out and into the world and into your everyday experience. So if it's available to you, put your hands on your heart and take a deep breath in through your nose. Exhale out your mouth. A deep breath in. And out. And a deep breath in. 
and out. And may you be present and open to all of the magic that is about to happen. And so it is. And so it is. All right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get you to the magic of Charles Lighthouse and everything that we have to say about live music. Yes. I'm so excited. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. And we have Charles here with us today. Hello, Charles. Hey there. Thanks so much for joining us for this lively conversation. I'm so excited to have with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. You do really nice work on the podcast and it's uh, lovely to be included with your guests. Mm, Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I love your work too, which is why I asked you to be on this podcast. But before we get into kind of how you're spreading your word around the the live music scene, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about, it's obvious that you are a fan of live music and has been very touched by the experience of live music. I'm just kind of curious about how you got in to love live music. Can you share with us your story a little bit? Sure. And I, I, I appreciate the question. I'm in this, this phase of life that I think a lot of people found themselves in, particularly around the pandemic where I was working that kind of grind job and disconnected from a lot of elements of of myself. And that led to working with psychedelic culture and medicine and really studying psychedelics and trying to understand that because I, I, I went from the traditional psychiatric intervention and recognizing that, you know, oh, wow, this antidepressant does this wonderful thing with the molecule. It led me to remember what psychedelics had done. And from the study of psychedelics, before I actually got back into working with the medicines, I came to understand that if I really want to grok psychedelic culture in the United States, I have to understand the Grateful Dead. And, you know, I'm 44. I grew up in the 90s when the dead just sounded like the broken promises of my parents' generation. And I was particularly crunchy about them because I was a metalhead. And all of their iconography suggested to me that they would sound like something that they weren't. And so, you know, it it just was this thing that I hadn't really thought about. But my friend Chris, who was involved in a in a psychedelic group that I was participating in out there, was a deadhead. And he took me to a show of uh, Garcia Birthday Band, who's this amazing group working in the Grateful Dead tradition, working with their songbook in, in Portland, Oregon, where I was living at the time. And he gave me two wonderful gifts that night. He reintroduced me to MDMA, and he introduced me to the Garcia Birthday Band. And... At that show, somewhere about a quarter of the way through the first set, I came to recognize that I did not remember, physically remember the last time I had fun. And Chris tells this story that, you know, he knew that I hadn't been to one of these gigs and he knew that I hadn't taken Molly since I was, you know, a club kid 20 years ago. And so he just came in to check on me and he says, yeah, I saw you and you were just grooving with the sound and checking out the crowd and just, you were fine. And beyond fine, I was in this exalted state. And so that was how I became 
acquainted or, or reacquainted with live music was through my exploration of the Grateful Dead songbook, through my exploration of how psychedelics and you know MDMA is obviously not a psychedelic, it's an empathogen, how these medicines behave emotionally. And that just led on this trajectory of using the live music experience as a site for community, transcendence, connection, awe, and fun. Because I think the thing that we do forget is that fun is not mere escapism. Fun is the catalyst for a deeper healing and a deeper connection to to pleasure as a compass for knowing when you're on the right path. Yeah, you're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You're speaking the groove therapy language. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is so cool. I love to hear that. Like that, I never would have imagined that that would be your story. So I love that so much. So that kind of brought you into this world. Tell me about how, like what happened after that? Now I want to know yeah, the whole story. Yeah, why did you stay? Yeah, <laughs> why did you stay in this world? <laughs> why wouldn't I stay? When, when, when you move out of the dehumanizing meat grinder of corporate American life to this space outside the screen, something happens that's liberating. And that liberation was a clue that this was a path that I should keep looking into, that I should keep moving down. Now, I over-intellectualize for recreation. That's the kind of person I am. And part of looking into it wasn't just going to the shows and jamming out and dancing and having a good time, but it was thinking about it. And the way I tend to think is through writing. And so I began, I guess it would have been when the pandemic hit... So I created a zine called The Dead Letter, which was essays I had written about specific shows in Grateful Dead history using the Grateful Dead as a point of departure to actually be talking about what's happening in current culture. And I ran this thing off on my printer at home and I would leave it on the windshields of any car in Portland that had a steely on it. You know, or any any home that had the you know some kind of deadhead you know paraphernalia you know hanging, and it was just a way to stay in connection with people, and that evolved into a practice where now living in the Bay Area, and now that live music is back in a in a national context, uh, going to different shows where I create these pamphlets as a gesture of emotional generosity. And as a gift where, you know, I'll print up a couple hundred and go up and down the line and just hand these things to people as this kind of mysterious gift and get out of the way as quickly as I can. Because it's not about interacting with me. It's not even really about interacting with what I'm writing about. It's about creating this space of connection and mystery through this talent that I have that is offering up, well, this is how I can use my creativity as a gift. But the beauty of zines, the beauty of songcraft is that it's really about awakening, well, what can you offer as a gift? And I think that being immersed in 
the dead cosmology, being immersed in the psychedelic community. It just led me to think about, well, what is it that I can offer? And one of the things I think about a lot is, I think we're here to be medicine for each other. And so where am I being called to be medicine? And and a lot of it has to do with when I'm interacting with people, unconditional positive regard, emotional generosity, deep listening and encouragement. And these little pamphlets in many ways use the history of the dead or use you know something that I derived from my study of the music to talk about ways that we can be more emotionally generous or encouraging with each other. And you know, sometimes that comes through. Sometimes it's just, whoa, man, that's a that's a cool Jerry quote. And that's fine too, because I'm not really interested in micromanaging how people interpret the work. What I'm interested in is producing these dandelion seeds that, you know, maybe connect with people, maybe they don't. But I do know that the people that they've connected with and that I've heard back from, it stirs something in them that then stirs them to connect with other people differently. And, and I think that ripple effect is really what a lot of us are after. What is some of the feedback that you've gotten from people after they read your zine? It varies. I mean, the majority of it is no feedback, right? I mean, that's... And that's okay because I'm just handing stuff to people in line. But, you know, as I as I do this more and more, there are these exchanges that are really nurturing and, and, and uplifting. I've met a lot of friends through it. Obviously, creating a gift for people, whatever your gift is, is a wonderful icebreaker for connecting with people. So, I mean, the best feedback is that I'm in a loving community of deadheads and weirdos in San Francisco that we connected because I showed up with this offering. And I just was at the Bob Weir 75th birthday uh, weekend over at the Warfield. And I made a, a little pamphlet for the birthday date that just kind of focused on this idea that Bob Weir is a person that surrounds himself with people that make him try harder and kind of meditating on on the values of of what that is in our own lives that so, you know have to try and as i was giving it to people up and down the line one lady told me that she had had the one that i was giving away at the dead and company show at shoreline and gave it to her daughter because her daughter's getting married and said, no Grateful Dead at the reception. And she gave it to her daughter because she wanted her daughter to understand what the dead meant to her. And that was really heartwarming. And then my favorite interaction was these ladies that were on their way to Thailand after the show. And I handed them a gift of the pamphlet. And this one says, are you the guy? Yes, I'm, I'm the guy. You're the guy. Yes, I am the guy. Oh my God, I love this. I read it to my friends. We, you know, this is so great. We're, we're getting on the airplane right after the show. We thought we were leaving tomorrow, but it's tonight. And now we have something to read on the plane and I'm so excited. And just, you know, that spark of just encouraging and giving people a gift and then letting them carry these ideas wherever they want to go with them. You know, that, that's the joy. Because it doesn't really matter if, if they know our name doesn't really matter if it comes back to us in any remunerative fashion. It matters that we were able to share a spark and maybe that spark goes somewhere else. Yeah. I would also imagine that it helps people like 
to put into words what their experience is. Like so many people are just not really able to articulate what they're experiencing or what's happening. And so when they're able to read something from someone who is so gifted with words and like have that resonance of, wow, yes, that is exactly what I'm experiencing. Like that's such a gift. It's just like lights people up. And it's like, it's like that knowing that you get it, that we get it, that, you know, that like there is something to get. Yeah. You're like, that's what I've been trying to tell people. Why I'm so obsessed with live music. And like you so eloquently did it. (laughs) Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and it was these letter zines, these dead letter zines that made me aware of you. And uh, I have two actually right here. Ah, And the ripple effect is happening (laughs) because that's why I am aware of you. And now all of our listeners are aware of you. Yeah. And it seems that you, I mean, you just as you mentioned, like you kind of meditate on these themes, right? So like this gratitude one was for the closing of Terrapin Crossroads. And it's all filled with just like the gratitude for our community and for what that space offered and just really kind of like anchoring in that gratitude for those last couple of days that Terrapin was open. And I was there on the last day and... Yeah, it just meant so much for the community. I mean, anybody in the Bay Area or who was able to travel to Terrapin Crossroads, like, gosh, what a mecca for us to be able to go and to experience free music, like pretty much any day of the week in the bar and have like the space for musicians. I know so many, like, I know a handful and probably more musicians in the Bay Area that would say like they attribute the strengthening of our community to Terrapin Crossroads for allowing that space for musicians to come in and to to play and to connect with each other and to jam and to be with Phil and even kids. Like Phil would do his stories and songs and he would play a free show after that. He'd like read the kids books. He'd have his big chair that he'd sit in and he would read the kids like three books and then he'd play Ripple and like Itsy Bitsy Spider. was it was so awesome so to have this to like commemorate that and it was free it was free like you go in the backyard and you get to hear Phil read a story and sing songs and and not just him he had his band with him so but yeah I love that you were able to like I don't know I feel like I have a piece of Terrapin Crossroads just by having your gratitude letter zine from there I will always cherish that's really kind thank you Leah, I just wanted to ask if the having that helped you to even like integrate the whole experience or like the whole Terrapin experience when you got home. I do think so. I really do because it like allowed me to remember. I mean, I know I have the memories. Like I read the posts on Facebook, like everybody was talking about how much Terrapin meant to them at that time. But your words just, they go deep, Charles. It's like, it just really... I don't know, there's a depth to them that really resonates with like the depth of the experience. You know, it wasn't just a place to go have fun and it meant so much to so many people and different things to so many people, but it really was like a home. Absolutely. And thank you you so much for that reflection. One of the things that I appreciate about what you're doing with this project and what I'm doing with with my project is that 
we're creating these contexts that provide permission to engage spiritually with these containers of energy. And live music is a container of energy that doesn't really tell you what you should think about it. The screens do. And I've got nothing against whatever people use their screens for, whether it's movies or YouTube videos or news or whatever. But, but generally, that's an isolating context that atomizes you. And it, that atomizes you and tells you what you should be thinking about. Or at least it gives you the parameters and you can have this, do you take path A, B, or C? And live music is this alchemizing container that brings people together outside of a mediating barrier of a screen and creates a group dynamic that is basically emotion plus math and gives people an opportunity to make their own meaning and to find their own spirit within it. And I think that the general conditioning is that you go, well, that was fun. You know, and then you throw it out of your minds because that's how we're conditioned to just move on and consume the next thing. And what I'm trying to do with these little pamphlets that, or the, the zines that collect them is to invite people to reflect a little bit more deeply on, well, how did this touch my spirit? How did this touch my wellness? How did this touch my relationships? And to create a site that just inspires a little bit more awe for the experience and also provides a starting point for, you know, this is how I think about it. How do you think about it? Mm -hmm. And Terrapin, I mean, just to briefly talk about that space, one of the things I adore about the Grateful Dead community in particular is that it's one of the few non-religious, although some deadheads will quibble that we might be a religion, non-religious multi-generational spaces in American life. And one of the things that was really beautiful about Terrapin, as you're describing, Leah, is that sometimes Grandpa Phil would be sitting back there reading to kids, but all of the time, Phil was mentoring and making himself available in, in this really emotionally generous way to uplift the local musicians. And there's this whole group of musicians that have come out of Terrapin, as well as local audiences, and, and provided this space where it really was okay if you were 20 years old or 70 years old, you know, as long as you were kind and liked the groove, then you were welcome. And intergenerational relationships are something that I think we're sorely lacking in our culture. We really need that kind of kinship and kindness and perspective and wisdom that comes from people older and younger than us. And that particular space was fantastic for cultivating it. Yes, so true. Yeah, I'm like, I'm kind of obsessed with the blue zones, the concentration of people that live to be over 100. And one of the the things that is in the blue zones is that multi-generational people all hanging out with each other because like the young people around are what help the elderly people to like keep coming around because they want to like impart their wisdom and just be around that energy. 
And it's so important. And in most situations in our lives that that's just not the way that our culture has been doing it. So that's so beautiful that that existed there. And actually in a lot of live music experiences, I mean, when you go to a show, there's like kids playing and there's like 20-year-olds spinning around. And there's, you know, like everybody's there doing their thing. Yeah, it's it's really important. And we're in this peculiar dynamic. I mean, we'll see how it evolves in this in whatever American work becomes in, in the 20s. But certainly for the last 20 years, the boomers were competing with Gen Xers for the same job, were competing with millennials. And there was just this kind of sense, and everybody's fetishizing youth at the same time. you know. And so it becomes this bizarre dynamic where we're not actually moving into each phase of life. And the boomers did a lot of really important things, but one of the things that I think they could model a little bit better is elderhood. And there's this dynamic of elderhood that can occur. And and I feel like I'm in my 40s. I think that my generation is going to be called to kind of rethink elderhood because there's this element of you can still enjoy music, sexuality, playful things, cartoons, whatever. It doesn't matter. But what you need to do is enjoy them in an age-appropriate way, you know, and not be pretending that, you know, you're competing with the 23-year-olds. Because once you can relinquish consummation or whatever, this garden of appreciation opens. And this safety that you create by not competing and just kind of being there to hold space opens up in a really dynamic way. And and the dead community is one of the very few places where I've seen that modeled on a daily basis. Yeah, everybody kind of gets to choose their own adventure and they're held in like, like you said, the environment that's being created. It's lovely. I would love to read some of your words, Charles, if that would be okay. Sure, that'd be <laughs> wonderful. Yay, <laughs> we win. <laughs> the second dead letter zine that I have is called Dance for the Future. And you wrote it for Phil and Friends at Stern Grove, which I actually was not at, but my husband's friend picked this up probably from you and read it and knew that I needed to have it. And so he gave it to my husband who gave it to me and I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what pushed it over the edge. I was like, okay, I need to get in touch with Charles. We're having him on the podcast. You are definitely speaking our language. So um, I've highlighted a couple of... I wish I could read the whole thing. Maybe we can somehow... We'll put it up on Facebook in our Groove Therapy podcast community so that people can actually you know, read the whole thing if they'd like. Okay. So I'm just going to, again, read a couple of inserts from it. Ask any surfer, the wave isn't made of water. Rather, water is moved by some vast eternal energy that's happening everywhere all the time. This is something Phil sees whenever he steps on stage. Listen, this is how he describes it. The entire wildly dancing audience behaves like waves in the ocean. Whole groups of dancers rising and falling, lifting their arms or spinning rapidly in synchronized movement, darting swiftly through the crowd or languidly undulating in place, manifesting the same sort of spontaneous consensus seen in flocks of birds, schools of fish, or clusters of galaxies. There is one lysergic summer afternoon where the life force flows at peak vitality, where you and every version of you 
and all your relations are in full transcendent boogie. If each song is a sentient being, as Bob Weir asserts, then it is an oceanic form of life constructed of virtuosity and emotion where each performance is a wave and each dancer is a droplet in its white caps. To make music for dancers like these is the rarest honor, Phil says. To be co-responsible for what really is the dance of the cosmos. If, as some savants of consciousness suggest, we are actually agreeing to create from moment to moment everything we perceive is real, then it stands to reason that we're also responsible for keeping it going in some harmonious manner. The fervent belief we shared then, and that preserves today, is that the energy liberated by this combination of music and ecstatic dancing is somehow making the world better, or at least holding the line against the depredations of entropy and ignorance. If you focus on the feelings you get from it, you can always summon this living energy. With the Grateful Dead, there's more possible than you could ever dream of, Lesh told historian David Gans. We used to say that every place we play is a church. He expanded on this in his memoir saying, at the beginning, we were a band playing a gig. At the end, we had become shamans helping to channel the transcendent into our mundane lives and those of our listeners. The medium is the message in the sense that people out here in the audience watching us perform together can if they're so inclined, realize that that's all they have to do. Work together with some other people and it'll get better for them. It'll be like music. That's what we're doing on this afternoon is using that cosmic music to alchemize reality. There's no spectators at a show in the Grateful Dead tradition. We're all a part of it. At a certain place of transcendence, everyone who has ever been or ever will be swept up in the music is dancing with us now. That dance is a sacrament that connects us to the life force itself. Feel your joy as fully as you can today. Carry it with you as medicine. Share it. Society wants you to feel small. It reduces you to a unit of commodity whose needs are measured as liabilities or assets. The spirit of life, of love, of beauty, of connection is the antidote to those dehumanizing structures. Dance, my kin. Dance for yourself and dance for the future. Wow. You're so freaking good with words. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard somebody read that. So thank you. That was awesome. I wondered what that would be like. Sometimes it's, it's different to hear other people read our words. Well, it's, it, it was really beautiful. So thank you for sharing your reflection with me. Yeah. Thank you for writing that. Tara Lee, after hearing that for the first time, what, what comes up for you? I just feel like, how did you get into like my brain and all of my friends' brains that are obsessed with live music and just like talk about it so profoundly and so beautifully that I even understand why I love live music even more, which I didn't think was possible. Well, we're, we're part of the same continuum, right? We're drops in the ocean, each of us. And that ocean, that, that live music space that we go into it lets us touch the eternal in some fashion. I've heard you talk frequently on the podcast about how in the space of live music, one loses sight of where they end and the other person begins. And I think that in the space of live music, one becomes liberated from, from time. One becomes liberated from space. One finds themselves within 
this spiritual energetic container that allows them to touch the mystery itself. And all I do is use the skill that I've acquired through a lifetime of writing and and just pay attention to where do those feelings come up and how can I articulate them in ways that can connect with others. But I, I recognize that it's not about me. It's just that's how the wave of energy that I get when I'm in that show connects with the tools at my disposal. And I simply use the tools at my disposal in a way that hopefully I can share it with other people in ways that animates them to use their tools, whatever they happen to be, however they happen to want to share them. For me, the important part is how can we access that energy and our ability to use our talents to share them in ways that disconnects from commodity logic and allows us to show up as gifts or as medicine. That's the goal. That's beautiful. So you have these letter zines that you pass out at shows. And also, it seems like you have things that people can purchase as well. You've made books out of these. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a simple project. It's the deadletter.bigcartel.com is where I put them. Just some you know off-the-shelf shelf e-commerce site. But yeah, I, I've put a couple of collections together. I've got the... It's called The Time of Returning uh, Letters from Dead Tour that includes all of the ones that we're talking about here today. And there's an earlier one called The Dead Letter, which was the one that I was putting on windshields of cars in Portland. And that one was more interrogating Grateful Dead history and making meaning from it because I learned by writing. And so for all of these things, it was part of my process of understanding to to put these out on the page. So yeah, they're, they're available. They're inexpensive. They're priced to share more than anything else. It's not something that I do you know, for anything more than just buying more toner and printer paper, really, because it's just about this emotionally generous exchange. But certainly it'd be wonderful if people wanted to access these and share them. I don't put them online, this particular project, deliberately because I feel that there's an element of a physical object that connects with a greater resonance than the ephemeral container of content flickering on the screen. I have no problem with that stuff. It's just for this particular project, it's about that mysterious thing that happens when your husband's friend reads this thing that he found on the ground or somebody gave him and decides that, hey, Leah needs to read this. That's what this project is for. You know, That's why I don't put these up online is, is I want to see how they can reverberate in a pre-21st century way with people. Not because I'm a Luddite, but because I want to reclaim or explore that space of slowness and connection that comes from person-to-person connection with the things that we're making with our hands. Yeah. It's kind of in the same spirit as live music versus recorded. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Charles, I have a curiosity that I'm just wondering is I know you shared in the beginning that you are predominantly a a cognitive-based person and I am myself too. And I'm curious, does live music offer you a different 
kind of way to be in your body or how how does that affect you? That's a good question. I, I think I lived my entire life from the neck up until I was like 38 years old, 39 years old. And the connection with live music and with working with psychedelics, and they really went hand in glove differently. I mean, it wasn't always getting high at shows. Both of those practices, particularly the deeper shamanic psychedelic work in private, reconnected with the body as a as a site of energy and spirit. And so live music is where I was able to take those things that I might have learned in the psychedelic space and just trust them. And being in a in a live music container, particularly at a dead show, because at a dead show, kind of the rule is the homelier the dancer, the greater the joy, which is far different than the cultural messages that we get elsewhere where we worship youth and we worship particular packaged concepts of what beauty is that make people very self-conscious about showing up and move and moving. The dead community just allowed me to trust that this body is okay that beauty is something that is animated across the body in the way that sound is animated across an instrument. And being in that space of Dionysian release and trusting breath, you know, letting breath kind of be the wind that animates the sail of my skin was a new place to be in after decades of shame and trauma and you know all of those things that we all carry in our bodies. So it allowed me to open up into a deeper trusting and a deeper knowing that also let me move from being a very cognitively centered person to becoming a heart-centered person. Mm. What shifted for you in your life outside of the concert? Everything. I mean, just like so many of us, right? I mean, the, the thing the thing that we're all coping with right now is that everybody's traumatized to one degree or another. You've got your local trauma of whatever your family stuff is or whatever your interpersonal stuff is, whatever your career stuff is. And then you've got your collective trauma and everybody is just kind of stuck in this space of we know it's there we're kind of not allowed to talk about it. And so, you know, what changed was just this acknowledgement of both my local trauma and just doing a lot of work uh, to process and move through that. And, you know, I've, I've moved pretty far along, but also recognizing that as a member of the collective, we're all kind of grappling with this. So what changed was a quest to move out of the space of post-traumatic stress and into a space of post-traumatic growth and to align my activities as a professional person in the world, as a creative person in the world, and just as a human being in kind of the opposite order of what I just described, to just open up that space of growth and start trusting that the things that feel good within the confines of of being a responsible human are the things that I should trust and move towards as opposed to the conditioning I grew up with was 
suck it up and do the hard thing and do the painful thing because there will be a reward on the other side. Well, I think the pandemic showed a lot of us that that's nonsense, that the reward is in how we choose to interact with reality right now. So what changed for me was like a lot of people, the pandemic shifted the way that I work. The pandemic shifted the way that I live. I moved to a different city that was more aligned. And I choose to show up in in the world in a more gentle, more heart-focused, more collectively-minded fashion. And live music is where I go to to recalibrate and, and touch energy and try to carry it into how I engage with the world. It's a site where I think I find check in with the collective and try to contribute in my small way towards this post-traumatic growth. But it's going to take all of us, all of us, all of us doing that because we're not even post-trauma right now. We're just in compounding waves of trauma and pretending that they don't exist. Very well said. Well, Charles, thank you so much for all of this. Anything else that feels really important to share with our listeners or that we might have missed? I'm just so grateful for what you're doing. And I'm grateful for the people tuning into this to think about how can we be the medicine for other people? That's really what it's all about is how can we be medicine for each other? How can we use our talents? How can we use our joy? How can we use our connection? And nothing is insignificant when it comes to that alchemical process. Going to the show, whether it's the Dead, or whether it's Fish, or whether it's Billy Strings, or whether it's Taylor Swift, or whether it's Tosh Sultana, whomever, it doesn't matter. Going to that show and getting out of the screen and connecting with the energy around you, that provides a, a path towards the collectivity that we need right now. And I feel that live music more than anything else for secular people is a container that allows us to reclaim community outside of the gamified approach to population management that we're living in. So there's this path out of the game is through that connection, through that pleasure, through that dance, and through the dignity that emerges with the respect that you show for each other as you pursue the dance. Nice. Yes. Well, thank you again. I am sure you have left lots of things for our listeners to consider, to take with them. And I love that reflection of how can we be the medicine? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's not just using live music as medicine, but it's like, how can we be the medicine too? Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, everybody will be right back. Charles, 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 like, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Right? There was so much magic and so many roller coaster rides and like things that happened for me during that interview that it's it. He's the one that's really good at explaining experiences like I'm not so good. But I had an experience. Yeah. I totally agree. And like I was saying kind of in the beginning, it was like just connecting me with so much truth, which I love. I like, I'm not one for 
just superficial conversation. Like I don't like small talk. I like that just, I don't know. But when I can sit down and have a conversation like this with somebody, it's just like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And he got deep fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that we were able to have him on. And I love that I was able to kind of reflect back his writing to him. I think that that's super cool. Yeah, that was such a beautiful moment. He was like, got even like teary eyed just hearing his words. Because oftentimes you put stuff out and then it's like, it's gone. I mean, it exists, but like you don't ever go back and read it or have someone read. So to be able to have that experience, to have you read his words, he got so emotional, which it like makes so much sense because I feel emotional when I hear his words. So I can only imagine what it's like to hear your own words what that would feel like, especially when they're such beautiful words. Absolutely. And I absolutely wanted you all to hear those words too, because, you know, you can definitely go and and purchase the dead letter, which is something, and it's $6. Like Charles was saying that he makes them for a very reasonable price. Well, that reasonable price is $6. So if you love what Charles is writing and you want to just have an opportunity to have like a touchstone to that, that you can connect to whenever you want to, I highly encourage you to go to his website and we'll link it in the show notes and you can purchase your own dead letter so that you can... Because I feel like, you know, his writing is something that you can read multiple times and still receive something new from it. Yeah. And no matter where you are, like if you went to a show and experienced something and then you went back and read what he did, it's going to open up something else for you. And then if you go to another show and read it again, it's going to open up another thing because you're constantly having new experiences. And so his words are going to be able to like bring that forth and have you questioning and thinking about everything. Yeah. And, you know, it's this is such a great resource for preparation for a show as well as integration for a show. So, you know, like I like to think of a show as a transformative experience and how can you bring the three stages of transformative experience into that? Like how can you prepare mentally and emotionally for it? Well, by just opening up to all of the possibilities and the ways that it's that it can possibly transform you and have meaning in your life is a great way of preparation. And then also for the integration piece to be able to read maybe a parallel experience of how it could possibly impact you, but then also that helps you to connect to all of the ways that like it actually did impact you too. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a starting point or like something to have... So you can see how it occurs because like I said, it's so hard to put into words, but he does it so beautifully. So by when you read it, it's like, oh yeah, that is how I felt. And then it can really go so you can integrate that experience and make it even more powerful. That's so true. It's such a like really cool integration tool. Yeah. And we prioritize things that we can make meaning of and understand. And we make meaning through language, through words. So like, that's one of the reasons why I feel so passionate about talking about this experience about live music and writing about it in any way that I can too, because it allows people to really be able to understand it in a deeper way. And when we understand it, then we prioritize, we, we value it more. 
Yeah. Because I mean, how many times have some of our guests, they were like, I never even thought about it in that way. I just go and let the experience happen to me, which is great. But it's really cool when you can like see the light bulbs going off in their head of like, whoa, I can actually make this an even like stronger intentional experience by just doing a couple of things. And it's it's really cool. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper about how live music can affect your well-being for the... Did you know? So I would love to introduce two different concepts to you related to well-being. And there are a lot of ways to talk about well-being. We could talk about, you know, the different aspects of well-being in your life, social well-being and physical well-being and spiritual and all of the things. But... In a general sense, there are really two ways to look at well-being as far as how they're discussed in philosophy and in the psychological research and literature. And the first type of well-being is hedonic well-being. And hedonic well-being, also termed as hedonia, is like feeling pleasure and feeling like happiness through the pursuit of pleasure and enjoyment. And then there's also eudaimonic well-being, also known as eudaimonia, which is focused more on like how it brings meaning and purpose to your life. And so as I was preparing for my research on live music and how it relates to well-being, I was really coming up into contact with both of these concepts. And for me, I actually see live music as an opportunity to experience both of those, right? So there's like the pleasure and the enjoyment of things and all of the positive experiences. And I invite you to just notice your relationship to that form of well-being and that form of happiness, because I feel like our culture especially has been very conditioned to feel like if we just focus on pleasure and enjoyment then something really bad is going to happen because like we'll end up living on the street because we're going to indulge in too many drugs or too much alcohol or too much sex. And like things are going to get out of control. And all of a sudden we'll be homeless living on the street. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I just encourage you to notice your like reactions to that or your, your beliefs on that. And maybe you're totally like, whatever, I don't prescribe to that at all. Like I know that I want to live a pleasurable and enjoyable life. So, you know, one way I'm not telling you how you should think about it. I'm just inviting you to notice how you do think about it. Because I have kind of tried that as an experiment in my own life because I was absolutely brought up with the belief that, you know, like there are certain times where you can feel pleasure and certain times where you should feel all of these like ecstatic emotions and experiences. And then there are other times where that's not appropriate. And so, you know, to really like contain it and to dim it down. And there was a point a few years ago where I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to see what happens when I follow my bliss and follow my pleasure. And that was like one of the best years of my life. And I did not end up on the street homeless. I was just able to actually really get in touch with what does bring me pleasure and what does bring me joy. And in my experience, 
the more that I focused on that and, you know, attention like brings more of what we're focusing on and putting attention on. And that was absolutely my experience. So that's like the hedonic, the Dionysian rituals full of wine and full of partying and full of just like a little bit of overindulgence and having a good time. Right. And so then there's the hedonic well-being or I'm sorry, then there's the eudaimonic well-being where it's like, how can you find meaning and purpose? And also, how can you live your life in accordance to your virtues? So eudaimonic well-being, the first person that I've seen kind of quoted as talking about this was Aristotle. And so Aristotle talks about how can you live your life in accordance to your virtues? And I also feel like in live music, the container of live music, especially the live music that we go to see, whether it's the Grateful Dead or Fish or Jam Band or something that's like aligned with our virtues, right? So maybe it's a giving community or a kind community or we're all taken care of or whatever it might be. That container allows us to, first of all, get clear on what is actually really important to us in our life and what are our virtues and what again, what is important. It's not like how much stuff can we collect? How much money can we make for the purpose of just collecting money? But like, how can I be a good person, experience this transcendent experience and be connected to other people in a way that feels really nourishing? Oftentimes those are that that for me is what is important to me in my life. And so often other people will find that to be true for themselves too when they're in that live music space. But also, and I'm curious to kind of get some personal depictions of this and other people's experience, but like I have seen so many people that have found a meaningful career through going to live music. You know, it's like they think that they know what they want to do and then they go see live music, which again, like Grateful Dead or Fish or any type of community where you get there and you're like shown that there is really no box that you need to fit in, that you can be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And that just gives permission for people to live that way. You know, like I wonder how many people's careers have been birthed from that and how many people have really found their purpose within that community to then go out into life. And whether it's, you know, they want to be an artist and they just like make creative art that they can sell. And now they have a community that they can sell it to, or they want to be a healer and they find that they can connect with that healing energy through the experience of live music and dance. And then they take that out into the world. Like, I'm really curious as to how many people like Peter, we just, <laughs> we just posted that clip of Peter from Goose at Fish when Trey said, Hey, if there are any youngsters out in the audience, like this is a pretty cool gig. Maybe you should think of being a professional musician. And that was like the light bulb for him that was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And now he's making that a career. And now he gets to share this same stage with Trey 12 years later. Like how freaking cool is that? Ah, that's so freaking cool. And I'm another one of those people that 
realized this to be my truth from live music. And I also do a business program for people with ADHD and they're all live music (laughs) fans. And so a lot of businesses have been birthed because they realized something at live music that they didn't want to do what is so-called normal and want to step outside the box because that's what improvisational music kind of challenges us to do. Yeah. And that's such in line with Udaymonic living is probably what that would be termed. Not It goes beyond experiencing Udaymonic well-being. It's like Udaymonic living. How do you live, live your purpose, live your authentic self? And that's really interesting to think that live music can give us that in addition to just having it be a fun party. And I think that like that's really the message that we're here to convey to people that maybe there is something deeper that's happening here. And experiencing positive emotions is a really important thing for health and wellness. So not to diminish the hedonic part at all, but there's something else that's happening too. Yeah, it's both. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. That was so insightful. And I just agree with It sounded like I said, I disagree. I said, I just agree. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely agree with everything that you said. And that was really helpful to hear in words. And, And I am also so curious of how many other people have the career that they're in right now because of a live music experience. That's so cool. Well, so Charles was talking about thinking about what your brand of medicine is and how you can bring that to the world. And so I'm going to talk and dive a little bit deeper into that for my section. Daily Jam. Okay. So everybody has medicine within them that they are able to give the world and kind of make an experience an even better one. So when you're going to live music, or even if you're going to the bank or you're going to the grocery store, how can you bring your brand of medicine into that experience? Like what makes you special? Do you have a great smile? Are you really great at giving compliments? Like what is it? I love at shows, I give out show fortunes. And so I write a little fortune and I kind of connect it to whatever band that I'm seeing and I hand that out. And that is the way of medicine. It's a way of connecting with other people and it just makes them happy to get this show fortune. That is a way that I can like deliver my medicine out into the world. So... I want you to be able to really think about it because you all have medicine that can help to heal the world. It's within you. So what is the medicine that you have and how are you going to deliver it to the world? And so I want you to think about that. Then let us know in the Groove Therapy podcast community on Facebook what that is. Yes, please. And keep spreading your medicine. Yes, spread it. The world needs it now more than ever. So like... Deliver your medicine to the masses. Yeah. And take in your medicine, whether that's live music or nature or riding horses, riding a bike, flying a plane. I don't know. Wherever you find your medicine to fill you up, your body, mind, emotions, and spirit. Yeah. And be open to receiving the medicine from others if that is the kind of medicine that you need right now. Absolutely. I feel like... (laughs) This is a whole nother conversation. (laughs) But something that just came to me is like the art of living open-heartedly in a world that feels so... That can very often put people into a defensive 
place, you know, like where we have these defenses that we put up, these walls, these barriers to really giving and receiving freely because of all of the things that have happened to us and just all the things. So however you can begin to like, I like to think of it as the golden Buddha. There's a story of a Buddha that was like on this island and this bright, shiny Buddha and this these neighboring tribes came to attack. And so the people on the island went to hide this Buddha and they like put all this dirt and mud and everything on top of the Buddha so they wouldn't notice that it was golden and they wouldn't destroy it or take it away. And actually like kind of everybody ended up dying from the island and nobody knew that this golden Buddha was there or at least the people who tried to hide it were gone. And so they couldn't go back and uncover it right away. But eventually somebody noticed like a little bit of dirt falling away from it. And then they started uncovering all of it. And all of a sudden there was like this golden Buddha underneath it. So I love to think of that we all have like this golden Buddha underneath in our true essence. And how can we begin to like wipe away the layers of protection and covering that we put on ourselves so that we can begin to shine our true radiant lights. Yeah, I love this because Charles mentioned how like right now, like we're constantly being traumatized. So it would be such an interesting conversation for us to have of like, how are you open hearted when you're constantly being traumatized? And so I would, I think that this is our next deep dive episode. And that's what I love so much about this podcast because, you know, we're so open to whatever it is that's going to come up and you all just witnessed something that came up and we're going to create this episode for you. Awesome. I'm excited to talk more about that. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, for now, I feel that we are complete with this episode with Charles. So thank you so much for listening and thank you for the medicine that you give to us and your community. We just love you so much. Yes, we love you. Get out there and spread that medicine. Have the best day ever. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We so appreciate you. And if you did love this episode, we would love it so much if you could share it with at least one friend that you think might love it as well. So just send it over to them. Let them know what you loved about it. It could just be like, hey, check this out or one word about how it inspired you. Also, wherever you are listening to your podcast, if you could just click that follow button right there, that would be super awesome. That helps to let the platform know that this is a podcast worth listening to. And also, if you are listening on Apple Pod, if you could not only follow us, but also leave a rating or a review, it would mean so much to us. That, again, is how more people are going to be able to find out about this podcast and really start to open their mind about the intersection between health and wellness and live music and why this experience is so important for our health and our well-being and our longevity. So again, thank you so much for listening. We are a part of Osiris Pod. You can find many more inspiring arts and music podcasts at osirispod.com. And if you would like to follow me, Leah, or Tara Lee, you can find us on Instagram. Tara Lee is at Rocking Life with two underscores, and I am at Dr. Leah Taylor. So come follow us there. We love you so much, and thank you again for listening.